the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He says, they're in me, you may have peace. Our peace will not come, not real peace, in anything or anyone else except Jesus. If you look at your bank account, you will not have peace in your bank account. (laughs) If you look at your job, you will not have peace in your job. If you look just solely at your marriage, you will not have peace in your marriage. You will have peace in Jesus. Anxiety and fear runs rampant in our culture today. Where do you look to find peace? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he reveals to you that most people will try to find peace in all the wrong places. They will try to find peace in their bank account, career, or within their relationships. All of these ultimately fail to bring peace because they're not Jesus. Pastor Gary assures you that the only way you're going to find lasting peace is through your relationship with Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace and your rock. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 16 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Jesus says, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And then as soon as he says that, verse 17, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. And it says, verse 18, they kept asking, underline that, they kept asking asking. So, you know, here Jesus is spending this time with his disciples, and uh, they've, they've left now the upper room. They, they've gone into, over the Kidron Valley, they're now into the Mount of Olives here, and his disciples along the walk are having this conversation with each other. Now, you know, I don't want to patronize the disciples, because honestly, I would be just like they are if, if I were inserted into this story here. But because we have the perspective of knowing the fullness of the story, we can tend to look at these disciples and just think, you know, you, you're not the sharpest knives in the drawer, are you, disciples? Because, you know, Jesus says, you're going to see me in a little while, I'm going to be gone, and then you're going to see me again. But they're going back and forth, and they kept asking each other. And they're not asking Jesus, because they don't want to, they don't want to look stupid. Because, you know, they don't want to ask him and look ridiculous. So they just ask each other, what do you think he meant by that? I have no idea. And so they're going back and forth doing that. Now, now Jesus is going to hear them. Verse 18, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. 
Verse, eight, verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So, you know, th- so there's, there's the moment where Jesus looks at them and he realizes, oh, they're not getting this. <laughs> you know, they're too sheepish to want to ask. So it's like, it says Jesus saw. What did he see? You know, the, just kind of this, you know, just kind of this, this backward embarrassment. And so Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? And he doesn't give a chance for them to answer. Yeah, that is what we were wondering. He just goes right into the answer. Verse 20, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now notice this first part. He says, I tell you the truth. You know, you will weep. You will mourn. While the world rejoices. Now, he's speaking about his crucifixion. And for those who didn't believe in him as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, that, those people represent the world. When he says, the world's going to rejoice, he's, he's referring to, at his crucifixion, the unbelieving world will rejoice. Those who crucify Jesus, who don't believe in who he is, will ultimately think that they're doing the world a favor. We are ridding the world of this guy. So those who don't believe in him will rejoice. And Jesus says to his own disciples, There's gonna, the world's going to rejoice while you, disciples, will mourn and grieve. And he says, but your grief will turn to joy. Now please note with me, he does not say your grief will be replaced by joy. Jesus concedes that, and he's going to say it at the end of this chapter, the very last sentence. Look at, look at the very last sentence of this chapter. In this world, you will have trouble. And then he adds, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He concedes the reality that in this world, you will have grief. You will have trouble. You will have sorrow. Jesus is not saying, well, if you, if you just, you know, follow me, You will only have joy because joy will replace grief. No, he says your grief will be turned into joy. You will have grief. Again, he ends the chapter by saying that. In this world, you will have trouble. There is real grief in this world. There is real heartache in this world. There is real trouble and real trials that we go through. And Christianity is not about this this kind of unrealistic idea that somehow you become a Christian and now you have no more troubles. You live in a world that is filled with grief and troubles and sorrow. And Jesus lets his disciples know in advance, you're going to weep. You know, when he's on the cross and when he's dying for the sins of the world, that loss that they will feel, that the grief that they will feel is real towards him and about him. Earlier today, I had a small role in a funeral service for a Loudoun County deputy sheriff who died. And I had around me grown men, law enforcement officers, weeping. Why? Because you lose a co-worker and, uh, and a friend, and you grieve. The world is filled with grief. Uh, any of you who have lost a loved one or gone, gone through some kind of a, a terrible loss or uh, something difficult, a, a divorce, I mean, there's grief. There's genuine grief involved in things like that. 
So Jesus is not saying that when you know me, your grief will be replaced with joy. He says, but it'll be translated into joy. That the cross represents a time of grief, but in the long term, the message of the cross brings great joy. You see, and that's what he's saying. And that's the reality for us as well. Okay, we're going to have real grief. But in Christ, that grief can get translated into a joy that supersedes and transcends the realities of my grief. It doesn't mean it replaces the grief. It just means that in the midst of my grief, in the midst of my sorrow, I can have a joy in Jesus. And the reality is then that it transcends. So you can be going through a difficult time, and at the same time, you, you, you have this confidence and peace and trust and joy in the Lord, and it doesn't negate the grief you're going through, but it sustains you through it. And this is what Jesus is saying. Now, they're going to weep, they're going to mourn, but it's going to be translated into joy. Now, he, he illustrates it in the next verse, verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. You know, in the moment... Uh, giving birth, it's painful. And I, and I say that as a man purely by observation, not by experience. <laughs> All right? I heard Carol Burnett one time describing childbirth as pulling your bottom lip over your head. <laughs> anyway, I, whatever that's worth, that's always stuck in, in my mind. But so I assume, not having actually ever delivered a baby, uh, that, that obviously it's a painful thing at the moment. Okay? And he, and, and, but he adds, but when her baby is born, She forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it doesn't mean that there wasn't pain. It just means that the pain was translated into a joyful experience. And so it is with our faith. Verse 22, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And by the way, the word ask there, the verb is, the tense is present imperative. Ask and continually keep on asking, and then your joy will be complete. Because the, and, and he invites us to go directly to the Father. He says, all right, listen, no, no longer are you going to have to ask me anything. And up to this point, you really haven't asked me anything. I want you to know that, that now, because I go to the Father, you, you can pray directly to him. You can approach the throne of grace and go directly to the Father. What does it say in Hebrews chapter... Four, where it talks about Jesus as our high priest, the intercessor, Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then, because of Jesus, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is saying, because I'm going to the Father, now you can pray directly to the Father. You have access to the Father because of what I'm going to do. And he says, when you make your request known, ask, keep on asking, your joy will be complete. Verse 25, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf, 
No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father. Notice this verse. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. This is very interesting because here in verse 28, Jesus basically summarizes his mission in this one verse. Notice it again. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So Jesus summarizes his mission in this verse in these four ways. When he says here, I came from the Father, he's saying I came from heaven. You know, the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was not created. Jesus has always existed. He's part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God who reveals Himself in three ways. And Jesus has always been co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. So He, he, was, all, he was in heaven before He entered the world. He is born of a virgin, the seed of God, then impregnates a virgin by the name of Mary, and so God then wraps himself in skin, takes on flesh. That's the second part of the verse. I came from the Father and entered the world. He entered the world. He condescended to where we are, stoops down from heaven, takes on humanity, enters the world, becomes like us, So that what? The third thing, he can die for us. He died for the world. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world. I'm going to die. And the last part, and I'm going back to the Father. So the last part is I, I, I rose from the dead and I ascended back to heaven. So I came from heaven, I entered humanity, I died for the world, and then I rose from the dead and ascend into heaven. So this verse kind of summarizes his whole mission. Now when he puts it in these terms here in verse 28, the light bulb goes off with the disciples. And they say in verse 29, then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Like, okay, we get it. And now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So it's this verse that was pivotal to change the hearts and minds of his own disciples. The light goes off. Oh, you came from heaven. Oh, so you are God. Oh, so you entered the world. Oh, that's, that's your divinity taking on humanity. Oh, you're talking about leaving the world and, and going back to heaven. Okay, and so they get the whole picture now. And then Jesus, don't you love this verse 31? Well, you believe it last. Hey, great. You finally get it, guys. Wonderful. Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. So they get the whole concept, but... Jesus says, but there's, there's a part of this you don't understand about yourselves, and that is that when all this goes down, you know, when, I, when I'm crucified, you're going to run. You don't know this about yourselves, but you're going to scatter. And you're going to be afraid. And you don't want to be seen with me uh, for fear that the same thing could happen to you. So you're going to flee, and you're going to leave me all alone. And he adds this other part here, and I love this. He says, but I just want you to know, I'm not really alone, because the Father's with me. Folks, whenever you feel alone, 
you're not really alone because the Father's always with you. You know, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the idea of in our lonely times and when we feel like nobody else cares, nobody else knows, and you're all alone, you're never really alone because the Lord is always with you. And so he says there in verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And here's this third word. He talks about grief, he talks about joy, and then he talks about peace here, shalom. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now I want you to notice this is an important prepositional phrase, all right? In me. He says there, in me you may have peace. Our peace will not come, not real peace, in anything or anyone else except Jesus. If you look at your bank account, you will not have peace in your bank account. (laughs) If you look at your job, you will not have peace in your job. If you look just solely at your marriage, you will not have peace in your marriage. You will have peace in Jesus that translates into your marriage and into your job, and into your life, in every aspect. But the peace that we have is in Christ. That is the ultimate peace. In Christ. He says, in me, you you may have peace. And then the idea in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now chapter 17 is Jesus praying. This is, this is the only place where we have an extended prayer by Jesus. There are many different times that he prays. But this is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus uh, in the entire Bible. It's all of chapter 17. And you'll notice in your Bibles, it's probably separated like it is in my Bible. The first section, Jesus prays for himself from verses 1 to 5. And then at, at verse 6, there's another subtitle. It says, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then at verse uh, 20, the last part of this chapter is Jesus prays for all believers. And that's, that's really us. So he's going to pray for himself. Second section, he's going to pray for his, the 11, because Judas is gone by now. And it's the last part that he prays for all those who will believe. So that refers to us in particular. Now I want you to notice verse 1 here, where it says that after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. He looked toward heaven and prayed. Now, now think about that. That's his posture. After he finishes saying this, he looks, eyes open, and he prays to heaven. Now, I don't know if you, if you have, probably so, but I don't know if you have in mind the proper prayer posture. But, but <laughs> the other day, my wife and I were praying together, and and I was actually looking. I was looking out the window as we we're praying together. And she finishes and she looks up and she goes, you're looking out the window. I said, yeah, I was, I was looking out the window. <laughs> but, it, but that's not wrong. It's just, it's just that there are some, actually there are times when, when honestly, honestly, when I close my eyes, I can start to think about everything else in the world. I don't know what it is, but when I close my eyes, I'm thinking about bills that have to be paid, the lawn that has to be mowed, the car needs to be washed, and I've got to write the sermon, I've got to get everything, and I can, I don't know what it is. Sometimes I pray better with my eyes open. I don't know why it is, but I want you to know, it's a biblical thing, friends. <laughs> Jesus looked toward heaven. He had his eyes wide open. I came across, I've had this in my library for a long time, but I find this uh, a little amusing to kind of stretch our idea of what is the proper prayer posture. There isn't one. 
Okay? It's not, doesn't have to be the hands folded, you know, or maybe I should do this, you know, here's the steeple and the people, whatever. It doesn't have to always be on your knees. It could be standing. It doesn't have to be eyes closed all the time. It can be eyes open. It doesn't, it, it can be a variety of things. But here's this great little thing that reminds us of this. So it's called an informal prayer, the prayer of Cyril Brown. Here's how it goes. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Johnny Keys. The only proper attitude is down upon his knees. Nay, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms, with rapt and upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hand should be austerely clasped in front, with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Hunt. Last year I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyril Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up, my head a-pointing down. And I done prayed right there and then, best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a-standing on me head. So it really doesn't matter. You can pray standing, sitting, or on your head, eyes closed or shut. Just pray. And Jesus, his posture is looking toward heaven, and he's praying. And this is his prayer, first section for himself. He says, Father, the time has come. Now remember that, because often through the Gospels, Jesus talks about my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. He was on this divine timetable, and he knows this is part of the divine timetable here. And he says, Father, the time has come. He knows that his mission is about to be fulfilled here. In less than a few hours, he's going to be crucified now. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Notice that. That speaks to again. He was co-eternal and co-existent with God the Father. Even before the universe was spoken into creation, Jesus was there with the Father. Co-eternal, co-existing. Notice in this prayer here, he talks about how the glory of the Son revealed, the glory of the Father. And, And he says, glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you And the idea is that when Jesus came to earth, he divested himself of his glory. In other words, when he condescends to the human level and takes on humanity, he laid down the glory of heaven and he humbled himself and took on the nature of a servant. It's incredible how he becomes like us, condescending to our level, stooping down to become like us, to become one of us, so that he could die for us as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Lays it all down. And in here, he speaks of this I mean, this is like the gospel message, isn't it? Verse 3, where he says, Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, 
Hey, there's only one true God. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human, but he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what he's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.